Hello, you guys, and welcome to Dog Eared Book Club. I am your host, Alexandra Shelley, also known as BB by many. And here on Dog Ear, the mission is to connect you all to books, thought leaders, and avid readers alike. So, of course, a part of this beautiful community of avid readers, connectors, and life sponges, this is where I bring on guests of various industries, change makers, and really people that I just think are super badass and ask them how books are changing their life and how they have impacted their life. So without further ado, I am so, I can't even contain myself how excited I am to introduce you guys to this November leader. He is one of the most dynamic entrepreneurs I've ever heard of, ever met. He is absolutely incredible, and every single time I've spoken to him, I have left more energized, more inspired, and just, I am, as you know, I am very high energy, and it's very easy for me to, I don't know, get going and buzz around, but it's like I've been struck with a lightning bolt, and I've been shot up to Mars. I cannot get enough of this guy. I cannot get enough of his work and what he has to say. And seriously, whenever I speak to him, or at least the times I've spoken to him, my jaw's just on the floor. So anyways, this man, his name is Joe Burke. So I'm going to read you his bio out of his book, which is The Anatomy of Yes, the story behind every sale. And this is just one of the things he has accomplished. So The Anatomy of Yes is pretty much about how he believes there are five archetypes represented in each business. He maps out each archetype, what goes on in each archetype, how they are represented within each business, what businesses he believes are within those archetypes. So he gives like very specific examples and he pretty much guides you onto how to thrive and overcome these obstacles. So literally, first of all, such a sick book. It is dog-eared to shreds. I was like, is shreds the right word? But whatever. It is dog-eared to death. And so without further ado, I'm going to read his bio. Joe Burke has spoken on archetypal patterns and business strategy in over 100 forums, including speeches at Boeing, USC Marshall School of Business, and the NG Customer Experience Summit. Burke created a startup agency at the age of 21 and served as a marketing executive at Disney and Goodwill, two of Forbes' top 25 most inspiring companies in America. Burke currently owns creative, a creative business strategy agency, an award-winning toy company he started with his children, which is called Ollieball. He invented and patented, and it won Toy of the Year in 2019, and he collaborates on a portfolio of projects, including producing and developing films. <sighs> okay, also another fun fact He wrote this book in two days. He took a train from Orange County to Salinas, California. Then after the train, he stationed himself at a restaurant until it closed, woke up, took the train back to Orange County, and then did it all over again. So yes, he wrote the book in two days. Also, you guys will discover where I got my dog-eared rating dog ear, double dog ear, triple dog ear. He just drops it and you will hear, (laughs) you will literally hear my jaw hit the floor. It is so funny. I'm just like, what? It's just genius. Like I, I'm literally like grabbing my hair. I'm just like, this guy just doesn't stop. He is so freaking cool. I cannot handle him. So anyways, you guys, Some amazing announcements. One, I'm opening up his seminar to non-members. So what, what? This is going to be amazing. And I think also I should let you guys know, I believe I mentioned it on my Instagram, but I'm really kind of reframing and reevaluating dog-eared and the business of it and the structure of it. So I'm just going to kind of roll with this decision and see how it goes and see where it goes. And also just why not? Because I'm obsessed with you guys. And second, his group leader seminar will be on Wednesday, November 17th at 5.30. And I'm giving a little bit more time because, again, I just know he's going to have a lot to 
say, and you guys are seriously going to want to hear everything he's going to say. He's absolutely amazing. So without further ado, here's Joe Burke. Stay tuned for his book list and his group leader seminar. I'll drop the details in the show notes. Let's freaking go. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Great Good. to see you again. Yes. Trying to get my AirPods to work here. And once I do, totally. Everyone else in the house uh, <laughs> bothered. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like the name. The name, because everyone knows what a dog ear is. Yeah. There's many things when you go to life for a book, you dog ear because you want to hang on to it. Exactly. And it's so funny. There's some because I've created to, you know, begin branding myself and build followers. I started just a BB's Book Pantry Instagram account. And it's so funny. There's some Instagram accounts that are like, no, dog earrings terrible. And I'm like, oh, it's the best. It's (laughs) It's the best. In fact, you may want to consider, do you know what a double dog ear is? No. Oh, I'm going to show you. (laughs) So if you're reading a book... And as you know, this is a, this is a uh, a dog ear. Like, did my camera just stop? I think it did. It did. Oh, no. you know, let me let me let me stop and start. Okay. Just as I was about to give you the secret of life here. Yeah. Whoa. I'm. This is dog eared Like. Yeah, it's juice. called double dog ear. Double dog ear. Hang on one sec. Uh, I know what it's doing. <laughs> It's this thing that needs to restart. I've got a really good camera. We were on QVC, and so I had to get this really expensive camera. Oh, nice. To be uh, live on QVC. <laughs> okay, we're reloading. And, and it's really oh, nice. Fun. Yeah, it's a good camera. <laughs> okay. Lighting. So this is oh, a dog ear, yes. correct? Yes. This, if you go, okay, I really like that one, but this one I really like. That's oh, that's fun. Okay. So I'm thinking you could even use reviews like, you know, it's a dog ear. It's a double dog ear. Like, it's something really, really good. Okay. I don't know if you can do I mean, I could try a triple dog ear. I've never. <laughs> triple dog ear. It'd be like a tiny. <laughs> I don't know if it's ever been done, but bam, there it is. This is. A triple dog ear. Wow. That would actually be instead of like stars. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yes. Wow, Joe. Yeah. Wow, like, that know, is like, great. You, you call it like a, you know, like a, uh, what do they call it? Like a, when you when you crack the binding, you know, it's like crack the binding, dog ear, double dog ear, triple dog ear. Damn. All right. I am. I am so excited for that. I know it's funny because like when I started my book account, obviously I was kind of looking at other accounts and doing research on like, oh, so what are they doing? And a lot of people are like doing stars. But for some reason, I never wanted to use stars. I don't know why. I just thought it was just kind of basic. But everyone this does stars. so much better. This is so yes. cool. <laughs> A ton better. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so fired up. Okay. So let's begin with some questions. Um, sure. So I know when I first met you, you mentioned that you haven't read a book in a long time. Again, I don't know if times have changed. You listen to a lot of audiobooks. So I, what the deal is, I have a ton of questions and I kind of pick and choose questions catered to how the interview's going. So I'm thinking I still I want to go back to this because I just loved hearing you talk about it. Um, your your first memory of reading and then I would love you to get into your love of Shakespeare as well, because that was just oh, like yeah. one of the best things I've heard about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. OK, so is this interview beginning? Yes, it is. OK, good. I'm yeah, this is happening. So- one preamble, I have, uh, my kids are home from school today, and two of them are, and then there's two dogs around here, so there may be some interruptions, some kids coming in, who knows? I Just love that, that's awesome. Put it out there, <laughs> life, work, balance, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yes. I love it. So my, my early stages of reading um, were like any kid, you know, just read books, you know, as you did in school. 
but I was in an accelerated English program in high school where we had to read. It was a, a quarter system. So it was four quarters a year and we had four books per quarter per year. Mm. And then that was just in the English track. So, you know, you were guaranteed 16 books, you know, a year in high school. And the great love that I had was my first course in Shakespeare. And I just, I ended up reading every romance, uh, every tragedy, a number of the histories. Mm -hmm. And it's just still to this day, a huge inspiration for me. Um, In fact, I, I mentor and I'll teach different places. And one of my favorite things to do is to break down Henry the fourth act one, scene two, where uh, the prince does the soliloquy uh, in the bar. So it's one of my favorite things. And I think there's a little bit of echoes of my own life. Yes. Um, One amazing thing um, about Henry the fourth is that he hung out with the commoners or he didn't stay in the castle. He Mm. went down and he had these friends like Falstaff. He went into cahoots with these criminals and he understood the people. And that's always been my philosophy in business as well, is you got to understand the customer. You have to lick the sidewalks. You have to have an upfront conversation daily with the customer because that's what Henry IV did, who became the greatest king of England, Henry V. Mm-hmm. So that was my early stages of reading. And to be honest with you, as you've mentioned, after college, Uh, I really, because I started my first company at 21, I didn't have time to read books or I just, I did have time. I just chose to do work. And so the books I did read were all about either business strategy, marketing, uh, neuropsychology. I'm fascinated by these things. Martin Lindstrom, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And Mm -hmm. I found that I could digest a book super fast and this was my digital double dog ear, by the way, because <laughs> I buy the audio book, I put it in my ears and you could crank up the speed to twice as fast. Oh and then I have an open document. And every time I heard something memorable, I type it down real fast. And so that's how I was able to create these. And then I'd go back to them when I was doing research presentations, I would go back to these files that had these, these sparks, these double dog ears and I would go back and I'd reference those either in the work I was doing for other companies or even in the work I did for my own companies. That's awesome. That's so much fun. Oh my God. I just, I just remember when I, when I, what was it? Yeah. When I first interviewed, you were like repeating soliloquies. I'm like, I, I just had so much respect for you. Like for high school, Joe, I'm like, God, I wish high school BB could, contain that in my brain like for some reason I I need a I need a read I remember when I again when I met you you said to read Shakespeare so I will make that a point this year because I need to get into classics I don't know why they're just it's lost today it, it is, is. Absolutely lost today and it's a shame <laughs> because the the insights of humanity and the lessons that Shakespeare it's amazing to me if when you read Shakespeare, if that's why I love going through this one soliloquy, because I break down all the pieces of it, because it's so loaded. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about, um, uh, and like bright metal over sullen ground, my reformation glittering over my faults shall shine more good and attract more eyes than that, which hath no foil to set it off. I shall so offend and make offense of skill, redeeming time when men think least I will. What he's saying is, and you can read it on its face, but then if you read beneath the layers of what he's saying, it is so insightful and it it shows what even leadership today is like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's these kind of rock star leaders in business and in the nonprofit world and in the philanthropy world that are kind of rock stars and they do things that are a little bit crazy and unconventional, but what they're doing is they're understanding and are speaking the language of the every person. Yep. And mm-hmm. The, the, and I, I often will meet people and see people and put them and frame them in these Shakespearean characters, you know, in, in these personas. And especially working with teams, you know, I, and not that I'm a judgy person, but I will work <laughs> with teams and I'll say, well, there's a Mercutio. That's a <laughs> oh, my God. That is so <laughs> and funny. And many a full staff. And uh, so it's. It's something that I really, I hope there's a renaissance in, uh, in youth affinity towards Shakespeare because 
I think people are turned off to it quickly because of the language. But if you really dig into the language and you have a really good teacher like I did, not only in high school, but in college, mm-hmm. it really brings out the value and the depth of what the bard, which is his nickname, yes. uh, was all about. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'll have to, like, set some time aside for, like, read Shakespeare. Then maybe would you recommend, like, Spark Notes? Or is there another book that I could read alongside Shakespeare that will guide me through it? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I'll be honest with you. If you read it, you know, just raw, it, it kind of is like, yeah, I'm following the characters. But it's like, phew, yeah, it's, a lot of it, all the subtleties and all the depth and dimension to his words is lost. Um, you know, I loved um, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, the movie. Mm, um, mm-hmm. In fact, my wife and I hung out with some of those people. In fact, well, that's a whole separate story. <laughs> but um, what I love with what they did is they did a modern interpretation. Yes. And, you know, and they, they called it Verona Beach. Um, there were so many clever things they did in that movie. Um, you know, it's a really good question. You know, spark notes might be the way to go. I was fortunate to have really good teachers. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know, what would be cool is if somebody, you know, took a passage. Maybe this was one of the charges that I need to do just to explain, you know, one soliloquy. But if I think people were to have that, um, it's got to be an interaction that shows the dimension. Otherwise, if you read it, it's kind of like, yeah, the two, therefore, house went, you know, me thinks, and you're like, me, me thinks. thinks I don't want to read this anymore. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> someone really does need to be a guide. It's a good question. Right. You know what, if, if it's my passion to get people to read more Shakespeare, then by gum, I'm going to find it. And if it ain't there, I'm going to have to do one. You should honestly do some kind of group Zoom. That'd be fun. I will. I will participate for sure. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I will do that on a different occasion if you want to do that i will break down act one scene two of henry the fourth and why it matters so much yeah you know what we can make this like a dog-eared thing like that could be like if you're in a group seminar that would be so yeah. sick i would love that oh my god there you go and shakespeare a dog in the house i mean there's a lot of you know there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of ways we can go with this but yes i will commit to doing that joe you're killing me this is so so many great things happening right now so hmm i'm trying to think do you have you gone back into reading again are you still uh, no i've gotten back into writing again (laughs) that's good though that's great because i know you mentioned you would do a second book after this one you signed a contract with two books (laughs) I am contracted for two books. And here's the key about the secret about this book, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, time and money are everything. It's your two most powerful resources as an entrepreneur and in many times in life. Uh, money and time is extremely valuable. You don't get it back. Mm-hmm. And so with this book, I had been giving talks all over. God, it's probably not to brag, but over 200 talks I've given around the country to different groups. Uh, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy sharing. Yes, I charge money for it now, but you it's know, good, yeah. it's, uh, I try to make it make sense because it's time and money. Yeah. But what I was happening is, and this was probably starting in 2005 was the first talk I gave, and for that next like seven years, I was doing these talks, and I'd either have my own notes or I'd have a PowerPoint. And my PowerPoints don't have a lot of bullets on them; they usually just have a picture. And if there's more than five words on a slide, it's a lot for me. But I was collecting all these great presentations on all the different topics, and I really was talking a lot about the five archetypes in the anatomy of yes, that we move through five distinct stages (laughs) in our life, which reflect a hero's journey in every movie and book you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's a trajectory that is hardwired into our DNA. We can't help it. If I say to you, oh, buddy of mine was out in the desert and found a bag of money in an abandoned car you immediately want to know what happens next. Why? Yes. Because it could happen to you. Mm-hmm. So there is a, there is a, a hardwiring in our brain that's attracted to stories, that's glued to stories, and it's how we teach. It's how we sway opinion, uh, and it's, it's extremely powerful. So I had all these great presentations, and this one woman at a – it was a – I think it was the AMA. I was giving a talk to the American Marketing Association – and I was going through company's archetypes and God raised it. He goes, what's my company archetype? So I asked him a series of questions and he's like, 
whoa, that's really what my company do. I'm not in the business of selling medical devices. Mm. I'm in the business of a quest for the Holy Grail. Mm. I'm giving people a longer life mm. that changes how I think about my company mm. and in turn changed his marketing and his messaging. So at that same presentation, this woman, after about an hour of Q&A going through people's companies, she says, you need to write a book. And I said, I go, oh boy, the time we had, our second kid was in the way. And I'm like, yeah. I don't have time for books. She goes, no. She goes, you've been saying that you can accomplish anything in life and you need to write a book. I said, okay, within one year's time, I will have something that, that I will have a book in one year's time. And have you ever do this? Like you're saying something and you're punching yourself in the face. The oh yeah. Time. You're like stepping on you're your own saying. foot. Oh yeah. I'm like really committing to this. So I did. And now one way to commit yourself to something and this is an exercise I do with people, is I did an act of public testimony. I went on to LinkedIn the next morning and wrote a blog saying, hey, I was at the AMA. Uh, I committed to writing a book about this, and I'm just putting this out there to handcuff myself to the project that I will have a book in a year's time. So nine months went by. I had an outline and, um, and, and 25 chapters. And so the story goes, I knew the only way to do this was to get on a train and ride it up and down the coast of California going nowhere mm-hmm. and handcuff myself to the project. And in 46 hours, I completed the first draft. And so from there, I wanted to self-publish. So I, I, I got a hold of this self-publishing company and they said, you know what, you should probably send this to publishers. And I'm like, I, okay, but I just gave you some money to publish it. And I said, don't worry about that. <laughs> Very nice lady. Yeah. And so um, I did. I sent it to two publishers and got two offers. And so there there goes, uh, they sent me a decent check in advance. And uh, we went and worked with an editor and got the book done. Nice. So, so yeah, I've started, I have an outline for the second book. Unfortunately, my, my ball company has been consuming all of my time. Yes. And I'd say about three months after the book was published, we, which was 2019, we sold half a million of these worldwide since. That's amazing. So a little crazy. Yeah. Wow. All from like you just being like, okay, you cannot kick the ball in the house. <laughs> Look at it now. That's awesome. That's you know, the funny thing about that. So my a good friend of mine, we're on a nonprofit board. He's a patent attorney. And I said, Scott, I go, could we trademark play ball in the house? And he says, I, I, probably not, but talk to me. And I said, well, you know, the, the old saying is like, hey, don't, mom always said don't play ball in the house. I said, what if, what if we trademarked play ball in the house? Yeah. And he was joking. He's like, that's like trademarking eat paste and run with scissors. And I'm like, yeah, but let's see what happens. <laughs> so he got back to me and he said, he goes, you know, it's amazing. Uh, no one's even tried. No one's even said, yeah. tried. So yes, we actually have one of our registered trademarks is play ball in the house. That is so awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's no been fun. No one's even tried. Oh, that's so funny. So what moves you in a work of literature? Great question. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm. Um, so I will go to movies for a moment because it's the same thing. Yeah. Like I love a- action adventure movies. I just do. And I mostly read nonfiction. Mm-hmm. But the fiction that I read is I love action adventure. Uh, you know, th- because a lot of my book talks about things like dragon and treasure. Yeah. You know, where the hero goes out, has to slay a dragon to get a treasure. And so I always love action adventure. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, honestly, everything Steven Spielberg has ever done, mm-hmm. uh, because so much of it has to do with action adventure. Um, so in, in literature, you know, characters that are dimensional, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's nothing worse for me than characters that you can see them coming and going, uh, the villain's the villain, you know, he's always the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love it when characters, have different dimensions. So a buddy of mine, a guy I grew up with, uh, Robert Lorenz, just uh, produced, directed, and co-wrote The Marksman. It's in mm-hmm. theaters right now. We mm-hmm. just saw it the other night. Uh, it's with Liam Neeson. It's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. 
And what I loved about the bad guy in that movie, and I was telling him about this, is that you've got a cartel boss, evil guy that's murdered this woman, trying to chase down this kid to murder this kid. Yet chasing down this kid, he keeps seeing families. He keeps seeing a father and son playing catch. Mm. He keeps seeing glimpses of a life that he wished he had. Mm. And that, that component and that dimension to that villain came out in the end and so was sort of a, um, you know, it was like a meteor bump that took him on a different trajectory mm-hmm. as your typical villain. Great performer. I don't even know the guy's name, but he was just a great performer. And again, to answer your question, when I look about literature, I love action adventure and I love dimensional characters. Characters that you think you know who they are, but then you're absolutely stunned mm-hmm. or surprised or moved a bit by the dimension this character has. And it, and it changes your perspective from a narrow one to, to a wide one. Mm-hmm. So what has been a book that has motivated you in terms of your success or creativity? So I would say it's always, it was the early books that I read. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I got in the other room, I have all these books that friends of mine have either written or contributed to. And it's been kind of cool over the years watching friends of mine, um, you know, join this little club, <laughs> book writing club. That's awesome. Uh, but I would say, honestly, Stephen R. Covey. I mean, it sounds, it's a little bit on the nose and cheesy, but The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm. it's just a good book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. There's there's lessons you use every day, abundance. And I tell this to my same, my kids, the same thing my kids is, you know, an abundance. Um and those seven habits, they, they kind of stick with you with accountability. Patrick Lencioni is another great author. Mm-hmm. Um, the Five Dysfunctions of Teams yes. is a great book. And these are kind of business books, but he writes in fables. So what I like about Lencioni is he'll take uh, a fictitious company and fictitious characters within a company, and he tells a story. But the story is a parable sort of about a lesson about how an organization either behaves or misbehaves and what the lessons are at the end. So... Uh, it's not sort of a, in business, one should do this. He tells a beautiful story, and you learn by watching the other people in the story play out. Um, so, and, and you find yourself, like in that book, The Five Dysfunction, there's a character called Marty. And at the end of the book, you go, you know, that, that'd be a Marty thing to do. I don't want to be a Marty. Don't be a Marty. Damn. So, um, in terms of business books, <laughs> those, those are the ones that kind of really helped me along. You know, with my stuff, and then, you know, um, you know, other writers. I know there's some great screenwriters. You know, a, a good example. So Karen uh, Lutz, who wrote Ten Things I Hate About You, Legally mm. Blonde. Those are both adaptations. And so Ten Things I Hate About You was, I hope I get this right. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Taming of the Shrew. It was a retelling of a Shakespearean story. And so. You know, you see, um, even Clueless was a retelling of um, uh, Emily Dickinson model, Great Expectations. I think now it's one of those. Stop. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah. Clueless is a retelling of another story. I believe it's an Emily Dickinson story. But um, really good screenwriters, smart screenwriters all have a love and appreciation towards literature. Mm -hmm. And they draw from either retelling of stories, because really there's only six stories that have ever been told. They're all just a retelling of the story, and there's really only one story that's ever been told, which is the education of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. The protagonist, it goes from a mm-hmm. narrow point of view to a wide point of view and goes through a series of stages doing so. So that's been uh, cool. And honestly, we're in the middle right now. I, it's not official yet, but we do have the life rights to a, a pretty uh, one of the greatest untold stories. Uh, and we've been working on this project for three years with uh, my buddy Bill out in Louisville, and uh, we went on our own quest. We had heard about this story. It's an untold story. It's an amazing story. Um, And so we went and found the family, met the son, uh, met his widow, met his daughter, uh, met other members of the family, and started sort of documenting and researching the story. And then we finished a screenplay a little less than a year ago, and we're getting closer and closer to taking this story to the big screen. So, um, but again, a lot of that 
and my, you know, my producing partner, uh, partner, Bill, big fan of literature. You know, he's another guy. So, you know, storytellers are not storytellers because they just tell great stories. It's because they've read great stories. They yep. know the structure of a great story and they know what a hero does and doesn't do. They know what uh, antagonists do and don't do. And they understand the structure of story. You know, that there are three acts in a, in a great story mm-hmm. and that there's, you know, the hero has to move through a series of tests, has to have enemies, allies, and that they have to go through certain rites of passages uh, to complete their quests. So um, I would say that Bill and I, in our quest to get the story told, it's been a real adventure of our own. Uh, and we too have been out there uh, trying to, deal with our own enemies and allies mm. and tests to get this story told. Mm. Oh my God. I'm trying to like contain myself. That sounds so awesome. When does this, so probably be, how long will it take for this all to come out to? So I'll tell you right now, I can talk more about it once we have our deals finally signed. Yes. We're, not, we're negotiating as we speak. Yep. Uh, but once those are done, we are going to start letting more more people know about this story. All I can tell you is that this is a person who was in a plane crash. Everyone died in the plane crash. In fact, they thought he was dead as well. Uh-huh. And as they were cleaning up the wreckage, he kept making noise to tell them that he was alive. And uh, on his you know deathbed, he willed a doctor to do something incredible. And that move brought him to one of the greatest achievements. Um, and it's just, it's an unbelievably great untold story. And like I said, I'll commit myself again. If we do the, uh, yeah, we'll do the absolutely. And at that point, I can probably tell you a little more about, uh, this story. That would be, that'd be amazing. You are like seriously firing me up so much. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm so excited for you. Congratulations on that. So I feel like this will so be you know, too. You're in a very powerful realm. Mm. You're in this the realm of storytelling in, in, in a court of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely powerful. And if you read my book, yeah, no, um, I have to read it seriously. But I really do talk about the you know the the power and the depth of storytelling. And I'll give you the first chapter and I'll tell you how powerful this is. Oh my god. Why does a parent die in the first 15 minutes of Disney movies? Are you guys just absolutely at the edge of your seat? No joke. I was debating to not even put breaks in this freaking episode because every single word he says, I'm so engaged and I'm so excited to hear just everything he has to say. And I hope you guys have been enjoying this episode as much as I did recording it and interviewing him. So I am here to just give you a brief intermission on a couple things to let you guys know that I will be reframing and reevaluating dog-eared with the structure of the business and memberships and everything, all that jazz. So please stay tuned, please stay patient, and I'm going to thank you guys in advance and thank you guys so, so much for your support. Uh, number two for now, members please go check out my bonus episodes one, two, and three available on Mighty Networks. I would love to hear your favorite little nuggets from each. And of course, you guys, oh my goodness, please go check out Joe's book, Anatomy of Yes, available on Thrift Books, eBay, and various other secondhand books websites. It is available on Amazon, but you guys, I really... I really don't like supporting Amazon, to be honest. I mean, obviously for like little random things because I just can't be bothered going to Staples or Home Depot. But other than that, buy books local at your local bookstore or at thriftbooksbookshop.org. For now, definitely go to Thrift Books. That's where I have the link in the show notes. And check out Joe Burke on Ollieball, and I also put the link to his LinkedIn page so you guys can kind of get to know who he is. So seriously, how good is this episode? Let's get right back to it, and why the heck do these parents die? It's a great question. There's a lot of theories why, but I really researched it and broke down why it is that a parent dies in the beginning of not only Disney movies, but most stories. 
uh, children's stories. And if you look at most powerful stories, and Star Wars is one of the, probably the best mm. example of the archetypal patterns that exist in stories, um, you'll understand a bit more about the realm that you're in because it's a very powerful one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember actually, I do remember you telling me the deal. Uh, was it because I hate to be a spoiler? Was it because Walt Disney, when he was a kid or something, their parents died in a house fire? The mother did. The mother, mother did. Yes. The mother fauna died in a, oh. uh, in a house fire that they, in fact, the house was built by a bunch of construction guys from the sets. So yes. the theory is, is that Walt and Roy Disney were picking stories and writing stories with a parent that was dead as a way of coming to grips with it. Mm. When in reality, the stories that they did, I mean, everything from Pinocchio to Little Mermaid were ancient stories. I mean, not hundreds of years old. Um, and they were retelling these stories and it had really nothing to do with their own experience. Uh, it just had to do with the DNA of storytelling. Wow. Wow, to think that they've created... Yeah, storytelling is about survival. If there's two things that every great story has, it is fear and enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And if you think of the early stories that were told around campfires with cavemen, mm-hmm. it was the elders and it was the parents who didn't know if they were going to live another day mm-hmm. because they went out hunting for food. Mm-hmm. They didn't know if they were in the winter was coming. And if you, Moana, believe it or not, just to go cheesy Disney, yes. watch Moana. Yes, I love Moana. Storytelling, because the elders tell the story, the tattoos on the arm of the demigod Maui come alive and tell the story. Mm-hmm. And are you ready for this little mind blower? We were, stu- I was studying this about 10 years ago and actually did a, a campaign called Catch the Sun for a surf brand called Victory uh, Victory Surf mm-hmm. uh, and Catch the Sun was the demigod Maui. He would try to lasso the sun and that's why the days were longer in summer. And this was the, this was the, you know, the Hawaiian islands. Uh, this was their, their stories and their legends. And in fact, Queen Lili Kualani has all of these family chants that told these stories. So in the movie Moana, they talk about the demigod Maui and all these stories that are told in his arms. Now what's amazing about this years earlier, I was in Tahiti and in Tahiti, I had met a bunch of Tahitians. We were on boats and then we were, I was doing actually a documentary when I was out there at the time, whole another story. And during this documentary, I had met this uh, Tahitian native Tahitian and he was telling me about tattoos. The word tattoo comes from tattooy. I'm probably mispronouncing it a little, but it was something like tattooy which means in Tahitian culture, generation mark. It's your generation mark. And every generation would have their own specific markings. And tattoos were originally done with a shark's tooth. They would take the tooth of a shark, they would hollow it out, they would tap it into the skin, and they would take dye, burning dye from a plant, and they would pour it through the shark's tooth, and it would leave a marking. And every generation would have their own specific markings. Now, this happens today. Every generation from Gen X to Gen Z to you know, any generation of the millennials, you look at, they have their own generation marks. And it's a way of a generation having its own identity. Mm-hmm. It's why we hated our parents' music. And it's why parents hate the kids' music, because they want to have their own identity, their own generation marks, either in their arms or what they listen to or what they see, the clothes they wear, the styles they have. It's a way of ownership. But it's something very old and ancient. And it mm-hmm. goes back to the early days of storytelling when every story would be the elders telling the young kids about a great hero that overcame death into prosperity. Yeah. Same stories I tell my kids who's crying right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, this is the power of stories, fear and enlightenment. Every great story has it. Starts with fear. Once upon a time, you know, mm-hmm. the ghost stories are on a fire. They're all the same, you know. And they were the same many generations back because what you're doing is the elders are telling the kids, I may not be coming home tonight. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you need to be like this great warrior, Nanook. Mm-hmm. And the great warrior Nanook killed the great bear from the north with his big evil claws, and he survived, and so will you. And it mm-hmm. gave it gave confidence, energy, power, spirit to the generation 
to survive without them. That's why every great story goes off a parent. Because mm-hmm. imagine if Harry Potter, even his adopted parents came along with him. Not so interesting. Yeah. Little Red Riding Hood in the woods uh, with mom and dad. Not very interesting. Mm-hmm. So think about these kids' stories. Finding Nemo. Imagine if Nemo's parents went with him. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have gone with him. Yeah. It would be fun and he wouldn't have been on an adventure. And we need to watch these adventures because it's a way for us to confront fear, overcome it, and reach enlightenment. Mm. Mm. That's incredible. Ah, So I feel like you'll get a kick out of this one. So if you could have an author write about your life, who would it be? Wow. Good question. You know, I mean, honestly, can you, I mean, I would love is Shakespeare. I knew you were going to say Shakespeare. You know, think about it. Like, <laughs> I just think about all like the crazy, reckless things, near-death experiences I've had. I know how he would write these things. And I know how he would write about my weak moments, like the weak, vulnerable moments in my life, the times I did fail. Mm-hmm. You know, I think... It would be a it'd be a pretty good story. I don't know if it'd be a bestseller, but it'd be pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's a great question. And I'm just thinking, no, here's a good one too. <laughs> who who would you not want? What author wouldn't you want to write your life story? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that is very interesting. Oof. Yeah, I already yeah, have some that. in mind. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Those poor authors. <laughs> but so since you've been a busy man, you haven't read in a bit, but you've been writing. And of course, you're a lover of books and literature. If you could pick up a book right now and sit back and read it, what would it be? Okay, so I'm going to rule out nonfiction. Okay, okay? nonfiction. There's, there's a new Malcolm Gladwell book that I do want to read, but that's that's nonfiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I really liked The Fountainhead, Ayn Rand's Fountainhead. And I never read Atlas Shrugged or any of the other books. Mm. And I just, I love the character, Howard Rourke. I mean, it's, um, he was, so I'd be curious to pick up that. I don't know if it's as good as a fountainhead. Um, and in terms of modern authors, you know, I never had the time for like these uh, Tom Clancy, um, who are some of these like Dean Koontz, like mm-hmm. my wife can power through a book in three days, a big thickie. I would like to read, you know, the other one she read that told me about Devil in the White City. Uh, it's about the Chicago World's Fair. Ooh. That's a book I want to read. And I've been, and that's right up my alley of kind of books that I like. Ooh. Um, yeah, those are, those are two that I'd like to, to get into. And I just, I wish, you know, having a youth of reading so many books I probably will get back to it at some point, but it's 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 probably after I, I I don't know if I'll slow down, but if I do, I'll probably read more books. Yeah, I know. Even as like I'm getting busy because I have dog-eared and several other things going on. Even this morning, I had this like really amazing, excited, anxious energy. I'm like, oh my god, how do I? How am I going to fit reading? I need to fit reading my morning routine. Do I need to wake up earlier? Like. <laughs> it's like I have I have to read because it's literally that's what my company is all about so I'm like oh my goodness how am I gonna do this it's so funny being an entrepreneur is some kind of madness but it is probably the most fun madness so I wouldn't trade it (laughs) but no you really can't and I'll be honest with you um one of my favorite quotes, uh, well, I'll tell you the quote, then I'll tell you who said it. Uh, mm. Life is a dangerous adventure or nothing. Helen Keller. Yes, Helen. <laughs> yes. So it's one of my favorite quotes because um, it's so true. It really is. No, and a really good friend of mine, Megan, and actually the girl who designed my logo and brand and everything, she's been so great. She said something, she saw like a quote, but she forgot exactly what it said. But she was like, BB, honestly, life's hard anyways. So why not? Like, it's hard being fit. It's hard being fat. It's hard being smart. It's hard being dumb. I'm like, that it, I don't know. It was so simple, but it was so profound. It's like life's hard 
not being an entrepreneur. Life's hard being an entrepreneur. It's all hard, you know? It is. There's two, there's a great quote, it's not mine. Uh, entrepreneurs jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's one of my favorites. Uh, the other thing is uh, the biggest regret that people have in life, people that are at the end of their lives in their 80s and 90s, is that their song wasn't sung. Mm. That they lived this life and didn't do what they could have done. Mm-hmm. The biggest regret. Mm-hmm. And they're not afraid of dying. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of the fact that they didn't live. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, entrepreneurs, all of them, you know, for the many mistakes, for the many fails, um, you know, at least you got at least you got in the ring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just a couple more questions. So this will be a great one, kind of leading back to our dog ear discussion. But what makes you dog ear a page? Triple dog ear a page, double dog ear a page. Okay, so in high school, when I first started <laughs> reading books, I always saw like the upperclassmen with highlighters. And so then I found myself, you know, with a highlighter. And you're highlighting like two-thirds of a chapter. Yep. Well, what, that, that makes no sense. Yep. Um, so my digital dog ear was when I go double time or triple time with a book and I would write down a thing. What makes me dog ear a page or digital dog ear a page is what I call the tuning fork. There is a tuning fork or a resonance or a harmony. If you hit a tuning fork, it may set certain pitch to certain tone and I play guitar. So being hitting the right frequency is very important. There are certain things that are said that when I hear them, I can't let go of them. Mm -hmm. And it's the unconscious intention of the author that created that. And I know it. Mm. He wrote or she wrote or said something that came barely conscious, but was so profound and so simple that you hang on to it. Mm -hmm. And those are the only ones now that I dog ear. And then, you know, I repeat them from time to time. Yeah. Try to give credit. (laughs) That's awesome. So if you could give someone a book, what would it be and who would it be to? That's good. Um, <laughs> I would say The Tempest, mm. the play, which was Shakespeare's last play and only original plot. It actually, was not. it's the only one that's not a retelling of another story. Um, because there's a lot of knowledge and it mm. talks what I was just talking about of, of, of destiny, fate, struggle, end of life, The Tempest the storm that's always coming. Um, the other one I would give to young people is Dumas, The Count of Monte Cristo, mm. because mm. it's a great story. It moves quickly. Um, it's digestible. Um, but the irony in it is so beautiful. In fact, I mean, if you look at Shawshank Redemption, it's the kind of, it's really the same yeah. archetype and storyline of The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, so I think young people if they engaged in that book, because there's a lot of things that you can draw parallels with to today and the whole idea for protracted revenge being noble, there is, um, there's just sort of a, um, an action component to it that won't bore kids, but it will get them into classic literature. So Mm. those would be the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Count of Monte Cristo is definitely a book I really, really want to read. And there's this one, book Instagram account. She's so killer. That was a book that she really, really liked. And she like bent it and tabbed it. And I'm like, all right, this book means business. I got to read it. (laughs) Well, you know what reminds me? So Frank Darabont, the director of uh, Count of Monte Cristo, and he was a guy I worked with. So Will Sadler was in that movie. He plays one of the inmates. And in fact, I met Will Sadler and we talked for a long time about, um, the the uh the movie Shawshank Redemption he's the one that is going through the library in the movie Shawshank Redemption who's looking at books and he goes looks at a book and he says dumbass dumbass and then uh and then Andy Dufresne the character played by um uh what's his bucket that I can't think of right now um Tim Robbins Uh says he goes no his name is Dumas and he says, the book is called The Count of Monte Cristo. He says, it's actually about a guy trying to break out of prison. I think you might like it. 
and he hands him back the book, which is amazing because it's exactly what Andy Dufresne was plotting in the storyline. So again, what I like about modern authors and that Shawshank Redemption was written by Stephen King. It was a combination of two books or two short stories that he wrote is that the great authors all understood classic literature and yeah. they all understood the dimensions of a character and that storytelling was a way for us to learn from other people's triumphs and tragedies to avoid our own and define our own. Mm. Oh, that's incredible. All right. Well, I'm convinced I'm going to read a classic this year. So why do you read? I would say it's not for me about escapism. Mm -hmm. For me, it's always about knowledge. Mm. And I've been a knowledge collector. And for every hundred pounds of knowledge, I get an ounce of wisdom, mm. which means I need, that's why I ramrod audiobooks into my ears. It's, you know, a double time because I need more knowledge. Mm -hmm. For every hundred pounds of knowledge, you get an ounce of wisdom. Is that a quote you made up or is that I from did, somewhere? I did, just now. Yeah, nice, Joe. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to like write that down somewhere. My dog even liked it. He's, oh, my gosh. Oh, no, I otherwise. So I'm fostering a dog right now. I otherwise would have her in my lap, but she snores really loud when she falls asleep. So I'm like, she's in the other room. But I love Hello. dogs. Oh, we got two of them. Oh, Oh my God, I'm so excited. I can tilt down. <gasps> there, hello. Oh my God, he's Milo, so... Come here. Milo. They're Milo. so happy. And it's on theme. It's dog-eared. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I got God. four dog-ears right here. There's yes. Milo. Wait, Milo. is that an Australian... Shepherd, yes. Oh, oh my God, so cute. Yeah, and another great story, that... He's a pup still, and he is, oh, I got, I'll, I'll get this wrong, but the ninth generation from my last Australian Shepherd. So same bloodline. Oh, how do you just, I feel like it's such a silly question, like same breeder? Like, how did you? <laughs> yeah, long story medium, my uh, middle child, my daughter, Janie, she really wanted a dog. And she kept begging and begging. I'm like, you're not going to take care of the dog. You're not going to walk him. You're not going to pick up his poop. Mm -hmm. uh, but she begged and begged and begged. And I says, well, if we're going to get another dog, I want one that has the same temperament as my old dog, Garrett. Yep. And um, my wife took that as a cue to call the breeder. And the breeder remembered oh. us and remembered the dog and um, said, we just had a litter. And it's uh, nine generations from your last dog. Oh. So, um, yeah, there, there, there he is. There's Milo. Wow. I love that. Oh, that's so wonderful. So this is the last question. What book would you recommend me to read? Yeah. You know, it's funny. You said what book and for whom? And I was just thinking I've got to have the book for you. Now, I'm not going to selfishly say my book, even though I think you get a few things get it out anyways. of it. <laughs> I will tell you, I will tell you, though, I do want you to read one chapter. One chapter is very important. Mm -hmm. There is two chapters I want you to read. I'll just read the There's whole thing. I mean, <laughs> yes, um, it's in Act Two, uh, Chapter 10, Values and Desires. Nice. Very important. And then I want you to read. Uh, in Act One, Scene Two, the business of storytelling. Nice. And it will explain how powerful the realm of storytelling is. Nice. Oh, I love that. I'm I'm like ready to go on to also a platform that I found, and I feel like I want to start promoting it because I don't want to buy books from Amazon as much anymore. But there's this platform called Bookshop, and it's pretty much like as easy as a buying a book on Amazon, but they source it from local bookstores. So I'm ready to go on bookshop right after this and like get your book and get Count of Monte Cristo. So I'm yeah, here for it. that's a good one. It really yeah. is. Um, because it moves. It's an, it's an action book, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's funny. I, I think about some of these books like Red Badge of Courage. 
Mm. Um, colors were very important. In fact, we had a great teacher that as you read the book, Red Badge of Courage, you'd have to color in every time you had crayons and every time you saw color, you had to color in with crayons. Same thing with um, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Mm. Colors are very, so in, in that book, yellow is the color of evil. Yep. And that's why her name is Daisy. That's why the town is called West Egg. That's why the car is yellow. Yellow is the co- color of evil in The Great Gatsby. And you think about all these things without, and it you know, goes back to what we were talking about with Spark Notes. You know, I don't know if anyone's really teaching the subtext and the dimensions to these books. And I think if more people, especially young people, knew that and knew about it, I think the more engaged they'd be. You should just, like, become a professor or something. <laughs> just uh, mm-hmm. Someday. Someday. <laughs> so I do mentor at universities, and, uh, but that's, you know, in, in only in the entrepreneur department. Mm. So I always look for entrepreneurs to help out, and it's one of my loves, one of my joys. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Joe, this has been absolutely incredible. I'm, again, so, thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me. And I'm so excited for a seminar on that Shakespeare soliloquy. And then, what was it? The other one was for the untold story, which sounds absolutely incredible. And just, I'm like on a life high. I'm so excited. Just thank you so, so much. And I will continue to stay connected with you. And I will definitely get your book and read it and let you know how it's going but this like meant the universe to me thank you so much this generation needs you thank you wow it (laughs) It needs you to be touting the power of story Mm -hmm. power of storytelling and to make sure that we don't lose sight of the lessons learned because stories are happening today between one and two seconds on tiktok and there is no trajectory. And I, 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 I'm quite entertained on TikTok. Yeah, the oh, it's... The stuff they do. But it's not storytelling. It yep. doesn't have the trajectory. It doesn't have crisis, conflict, resolution. It doesn't have the DNA of storytelling. And the problem is, is it's taking all the attention away from a generation that needs these stories. Yep. I honestly couldn't agree more. And I know my, my mentor kind of brought it up. She's like, BB, you know, dog ear is kind of old school, but really modern. Like you're really bringing back the importance of books and these stories and what they mean to us and how they affect us, but also obviously like in a new age way. So that is truly the goal to inspire people to bring them back to a book because yeah. yeah, I think it's a, it fills my heart with so much joy when I go out to dinner or when that happens again and I see yeah. parents with their kids and their kids are reading a book versus parents with their kids and their kids mm-hmm. on an iPad. So, okay, yeah. then one question for you Do you have a pen? I have a pen and a pencil. Perfect. Pen and pen is better. Okay. It's permanent. Okay. And do you have a piece of paper? Uh, I have my to-do list notebook. This is good. Okay. Okay. So today's date, what are we at? The 28th? The 28th? 29th, I got. Um, Oh, my God. It is the 29th. Wow. Oh, my God. Woo. All right. It's the 29th. Okay. Um, And so if you can write that date down. Yep. And then um, put I. I. Comma. Your name, how you refer to yourself, nickname or otherwise. Okay. Am willing to make. Okay. Oh my God. The necessary sacrifices. To make the. Okay. Necessary sacrifices. Okay. Two. Two. And so that's up to you. You fill fill in the blank. Now, I've done this with many people. Every time I do, I speak in front of a group, I'll do this. And you would not believe the achievements that have come out of this exercise. Wow. So what I'll do is you write down some impossible task. It's got to be impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a woman, a young young girl, she had in her late 20s. This is about five, maybe four years ago. She did the same thing. And she said, um, uh, willing to make the necessary sacrifices to own 30 homes. And everyone in the audience laughed because she was a young girl. She now owns seven homes in four years. And she's buying these little beat up 
things and fixing them up. And she will. This girl, by the time she is, I give her till about 40, she'll own 30 homes. Um, it's a powerful thing. Write down something impossible. And like I had to do in writing my book, take a picture of it and put it up on social media for your friends and family to see. They're going to hold you accountable to it. That's amazing. I'm so excited. I honestly like want to write this down like like once a like every beginning of the month so I can like keep myself accountable. I really like that. Thank you. Yeah. So and I have a picture of it. So I did this with me and all my kids and, and we put them in the kitchen right near the, you know, on this big walnut block that my wife put up. We put all of our 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 active public testimonies up there. And at the time that one I wrote, I said, I'm going to set necessary sacrifices to write a book, produce a movie, um, and launch a, a new product. And I was able to get all three of those done in a year. And, um, and then the following year, I'm still working on, on that impossible goal. So we are, in fact, we're halfway to that goal. So I'm going to get back to him. Oh, my God, of course. Yeah. <laughs> home today. Um, yes. But they've been very good otherwise. But um, I'm going to – let's check in it again. To yes. To do the, the Shakespeare and the update on the movie. Yes. And then I'm going to check on your impossible goal. Yes, absolutely. Joe, this meant the universe to me. Thank you so, so much. I can't wait to keep staying connected. So – Absolutely. By the way, it's what I just did is a call to adventure. <laughs> I love it. Right on cue. Uh, okay. Good to see you. So good to see you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. <Absolutely. laughs> okay, guys, I'm just going to go out and say it. What the fuck? Like, what? Like, are you kidding me? I seriously cannot handle this guy. I haven't listened to this conversation in, I want to say, over a year. And I am just as, if not more, blown away, more engaged, and more inspired by this conversation. And also, unfortunately, I lost a notebook that I wrote down my call to action slash the Joe Burke exercise but I wrote it down again. So I will share my call to adventure. And I'll honestly probably have many more. And I urge you guys, also I'm sure Joe will say the same thing, have many calls to adventure. Life is an absolute adventure. And again, from this conversation, I am like, I just know anything is possible my goals, my dreams, my aspirations are possible. And to be honest, when he said your generation needs you, that was probably one of the highest compliments I have ever gotten. And I'll probably write that down just to remind myself that not even just like me, but you guys, our generation, this life needs us. So may you guys write down your call to action. I'm going to share mine on social and I think that is one of the best things that he mentioned is your public act of testimony. So you're staying committed and also everyone's rooting for you. Everyone is excited. And if people laugh at your call to adventure, your goal, then that's on them. That's not on you. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It's Literally 7 p.m. I have been working since 7.30 a.m. and I am still so high on life. I have so much energy and thank God it's because I have you guys. It's because I have dog-eared. So again, thank you guys so much for sitting down with us, listening. All the show notes, whoa, <laughs> all the show notes will be below. All the books that he mentioned will be below his link to his book, his link to his LinkedIn, and his link to his Ollieball toy. And also, I wrote down some pretty epic points of the conversation as well. Stay tuned for his group leader seminar. Wednesday, November 17th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time, open to members and non-members. And 
as you heard, we may have more than one. So if you guys are down for that, I'm, I am like, I'm raising my hands and my freaking toes. So I love you guys so much. And you know what? <laughs> oh, God, I'm so happy. Oh, <laughs>